0: It's the Halloween month of horror. A month full of scary stories, ghosts, hauntings, and things that go bump in the night. A time for the dark spirits to come out. But amidst the fun part of Halloween darkness, it can be tough to deal with the darkness you might be feeling inside. That's why we love BetterHelp. Because they can help even when all you need is someone to listen and guide you to a better way of thinking. BetterHelp is online therapy that assesses your needs and matches you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. So when it's not about a life crisis or quick self-help fix, BetterHelp can provide professional counseling done securely online with a broad range of expertise available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. I love looking through the many positive reviews shared by BetterHelp clients. Here's some for a number of different BetterHelp therapists. Honesty, integrity, and individual attention are a few of the things that make Bethany an optimal choice for therapy. I feel confident in my progress and growth because of Bethany. Dr. Hagens is a super terrific therapist. I enjoy listening to her advice, and it has helped me understand my situation and to better deal with my challenges. I was lost until Amanda has helped me find my way through my feelings and trauma, meanwhile helping me become a better person. With BetterHelp, you get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counsellors in all 50 states. So visit betterhelp.com no nosleep. That's Better H-E-L-P. And join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. And no-sleep listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash sleep. And now, let's haunt our way toward Halloween as we start the show. Brace yourself for the no-sleep podcast. Welcome, sleepless listeners. I'm your host, David Cummings. We hope you're fully stocked with Halloween supplies by now. Lots of candy, lots of spooky decorations, ghoulish costumes, and lots of creepy Halloween-inspired music to set the delightfully dark mood. What's that? You find yourself lacking good Halloween music? Then look no further than our very own macabre maestro, Brandon Boone. Brandon has just released his latest album, called Nightfall, featuring 12 instrumental tracks of music inspired by, and sure to inspire, the Halloween spirit. Perfect to put on while the trick-or-treaters come a knocking, or while on long walks through dark woods. Check the show notes for a link to where you can buy Nightfall or listen on your favorite music streaming platform. Nightfall by Brandon Boone. Make it your Halloween soundtrack. And if you'd like to see Brandon perform live in concert and you're near the Brooklyn area, you're in luck. Brandon will be performing at the Sleepless Spectacular Horrifying Halloween Variety Show on October 17th at the Bell House in Brooklyn, New York. And yes, there will be actors like me, Mary Murphy, Mike DelGaudio, Graham Rowett, and Sarah Olivia performing while Brandon plays his music, but that's okay. It will be a wonderfully entertaining live event. Check the show notes for a link for tickets right now. You don't want to miss out when the show sells out. And so, Halloween is fast approaching. Let's get the party started early and start the show. In our first tale, it's time to put on our best costumes for a Halloween party. We join a young woman who's ready for some fearsome festivities at the Sigma Alpha Epsilon Frat House for their annual sawwind soiree. But in this tale, shared with us by author Caroline DiOrio, we discover that this party might have a rather strange gate-crasher. Performing this tale are Nicole Goodnight, Atticus Jackson and Graham Rowett. So when you're choosing a costume, maybe you'll want to dress as a Ghostbuster. At least that way you might stand a chance if you come up against The Farwood Phantom.
1: I wasn't sure Sigma Alpha Epsilon would be having their annual Halloween party after what happened last year. As I made my way through the throngs of costumed students milling around campus, however, the throbbing bass echoing from the direction of the frat house answered my question for me. The party was already in full swing when I arrived. A girl dressed as Princess Leia collapsed in front of me as I made my way up the front steps, vomiting a bright green deluge onto the pavement. I stepped around her and went inside. The house was packed with co-eds, from the knot of dancers in the living area to the slightly quieter guests clustered around the snack table. There seemed to be even more people in attendance than there had been last Halloween, as hard as it was to believe. I hadn't been here in so long, in what felt like a lifetime, but the place hadn't changed at all. I was suddenly awash in memories, coming here with my roommate and her friend's freshman year, laughing and dancing until our feet ached. I'd been so happy then. So hopeful.
2: So what are you supposed
1: to be? The voice startled me out of my reverie, and I quickly turned around. There he was, all six feet and change of him, as handsome and hazel-eyed as the day I first laid eyes on him in Biology 101 last August. Nikolai Wilder. My hands flew reflexively to the burlap bag over my head, ensuring that it still securely covered my face. I barely had time to poke holes in it for my eyes before coming here he cocked his head and smiled
2: hello anyone home
1: sorry i'm one of the undead from necromancer rise of the nephilim you know that goofy old action movie from like 2001 i didn't have time to paint my face up so i'm a masked zombie tonight i laughed and did a little spin so he could see all of my costume My dull gray skin, my blackened nails, the dirt-covered rags from what used to be the blue dress I wore to church in high school. I'd gotten a couple of wide-eyed inquiries from a few visual arts majors about how I'd managed to do the special effects makeup on my arms and legs, but there hadn't been much to tell. It was an easy costume. Very easy, in fact.
2: You kidding? I love that movie. I used to watch it all the time when I was a kid.
1: Behind my mask, I smiled. To the best of my knowledge, there was no movie entitled Necromancer Rise of the Nephilim. And what's yours? He glanced down at his crisp suit, at the little name tag on his lapel that read, I'm sorry.
2: I'm a formal apology. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Thanks. My name's Nikolai, by the way.
1: Nice, I'm Sarah.
2: Have we had a class together this semester? Your voice sounds kind of familiar.
1: I don't think so. I definitely would have remembered seeing you. Nikolai grinned, his gap toothed smile glinting in the dim light.
2: Well, maybe you could take your mask off. Let's see if you're as cute as you sound. Shit.
1: Oh, I. I um... Hey,
2: Nick, we're going over to
3: Joey's.
1: You in? I turned and saw a short, stocky guy in a red t shirt. Except for the Jason Voorhees mask perched atop his egg-shaped head, he didn't appear to be wearing a costume.
2: You're leaving already, Vince?
1: Vince rolled his eyes.
4: Yeah, of course. It's only 11 and this place has already borne me to
3: tears. You coming or what?
1: Nikolai looked at Vince and then down at me. For a second, I thought he would leave with him, but then he shook his head.
2: Actually, I think I'm going to stay a little longer.
1: He winked at me then and relief washed through me. I hadn't come for nothing after all. Vince shrugged and turned to leave.
3: Suit yourself. Don't let the Farwood Phantom
1: get you. The Farwood Phantom? What's that? Nikolai waved his hand dismissively.
2: That's nah, just Vince's name for the ghost he supposedly caught on camera last night outside our dorm.
1: A ghost? Nikolai <laughs> laughed and pulled his phone out of his pocket. He turned the screen towards me. Yeah.
2: Yeah. A big scary ghost.
1: The video looked as if it had been filmed with a root vegetable. Through the gray fuzz on the screen, I could just make out the outline of the shrubs outside Potip, one of the main residence halls. Suddenly, the leaves rustled, as if disturbed by an animal moving around in the branches. Oh, shit! And then...
2: Right there.
1: Nikolai paused the video and pointed at something in the top right corner.
2: There's the Farwood Phantom.
1: I peered closely at the screen and suppressed a laugh. The ghost in question was a gray smear that looked quite a bit like just another clump of night video fuzz. It vaguely resembled the shape of a woman with long hair if you squinted and closed one eye while you were at it. That's terrifying. You should call BuzzFeed Unsolved. I know, right? Nikolai (laughs) laughed as he put his phone away.
2: Scared the shit out of Vince, though. He's convinced it's the ghost of that uh, freshman they found in the river last year. You know that one, right?
1: I nodded. Oh, I knew about the girl in the river. Everyone in a 50-mile radius did. She'd been found the morning after Halloween, half submerged in the woods five miles from Farwood's campus. Her throat had been slashed, but she'd been in the water too long for the police to recover any DNA evidence. Those who knew her said that, hours before her death, she'd been seen here, at this house. The media firestorm had been swift and immediate, but it had died down eventually, as media firestorms do, and life soon went back to normal. Everyone agreed that it had been sad, of course, but the girl had been drinking, and she'd walked home alone. It was the kind of horrible tragedy that happened to nameless, faceless girls, friends of friends of friends who'd been too naive and too careless for their own good. I doubt most of the students here even remembered her name. That's so sad what happened to her, don't you think?
2: Oh yeah, of course. Speaking of which, did you come here alone? I don't want you to have to walk back to the dorms by yourself if you can avoid it.
1: I did, yeah. I'm probably going to head out soon, but you don't have to come with me if you don't want to.
2: Hey, it's no problem at all.
1: Nikolai's eyes suddenly widened, and he smiled as if he'd just gotten a brilliant idea.
2: How about this... I'm actually getting kind of hungry, so if you want to come with me to Taco Bell, I can drop you off at your place afterwards. It'd be my treat. Really? Of course. Besides, I figured the car ride will give us some time to talk in peace and quiet. Not that the company here isn't stellar, of course.
1: He glanced pointedly at two beefy fraternity members over near the coolers, both in football jerseys who were apparently locked into an Olympic-caliber belching contest. (sighs) That sounds like a plan to me.
2: Great. Let's get out of here.
1: I started to follow him out the front door, but something made me pause. I turned around and saw two girls dancing together at the edge of the crowd, one dressed as Morticia Adams, the other dressed as Rey from Star Wars. They were wildly offbeat, but they were clearly having the time of their lives, laughing and talking as they spun around each other. I didn't believe in any god. Not then, not now, but... I prayed to whatever was listening that they would make it home safe and sound, along with every other girl in this house.
2: Hey, Sarah, you still coming?
1: I closed the door behind me and stepped out into the night. For all his talk of being able to chat in peace and quiet, Nikolai had been virtually silent from the moment I shut the passenger door. The Taco Bell we were supposedly going to was just a mile or two away from campus, but... We'd been driving on a darkened black road for almost twenty minutes now. Are you taking a shortcut? Nikolai looked at me then and smiled. His eyes looked so different than they had at the party. Flat and round and hungry, like those of a shark.
2: Yeah, a shortcut.
1: I didn't talk to him after that. I just stared out the window up at the fat orange harvest moon that watched us like a voyeur. When the car finally came to a stop, we were in a small, wooded clearing. Even in the dark, I knew the place. Nikolai turned off the car and smiled at me. Why did you bring me here? Nikolai reached over and stroked my arm. Through the thin material of my sleeve, his hand was feverishly warm.
2: Like I said, I want to get to know you.
1: His voice was soft, gentle, like a babysitter trying to get an obstinate four-year-old to eat her dinner.
2: Why don't you take your mask off?
1: I just stared straight out the windshield. What if I don't want to? Nikolai reached over and locked the doors.
2: Take your mask off? Or I will.
1: I looked at him for a second, not saying anything. Then I leaned over towards him so that the edge of the burlap bag dangled a little. You can take it off for me, if you'd like.
2: Now was that so hard?
1: He reached over and began to lift the bag off.
2: Just... All right? As long as you don't freak out, I promise I'll...
1: The words died in his throat when he saw my face. For a moment, he just stared at me, his face a pale mask of terror. Oh, what's the matter, Nikolai? Am I not as pretty as I was last year? Nikolai frantically grabbed for the handle of his door, but fear made him clumsy. When he fumbled with the lock, I reached over and clamped my hand over his right kneecap. I was stronger in death than I had ever been in life. And I felt the bones crunch beneath my fingertips, as delicate and fragile as eggshells. Ah! Ah! The scream that tore its way out of Nikolai's throat didn't even sound human. He finally managed to open the door and he fell out of the car, scrambling backwards with his hands and one good leg. Someone help! Please! I smiled. We are far enough away from the town that there wouldn't be anyone to hear us for miles around. He'd made sure of that. I opened the passenger door and walked calmly around the car. Nikolai had only managed to crawl a few yards away by now. He reached into his pocket and whipped out a pocket knife, the blade of which glinted in the dim light of the moon. Stay back. I'm warning you. I slowly walked towards him. When we were less than an arm's length apart, I crouched down, laid my hand over the knife in his hands, and slowly pushed it down. For a moment, I just let him look at me, at my sunken cheeks, at my empty eye sockets, at the torn flesh of my throat, now brittle and curled as dead leaves. Nikolai, do I look like someone who bleeds to you? He began to cry then, so pathetically it almost made me feel sorry for him. Almost. It had been raining the night I was murdered, I'd come to the party with my friends, but I'd stayed longer than them because I wasn't finished dancing yet. The light drizzle that had started when I had arrived had become a downpour by the time I'd left. And it was cold. So numbingly cold. When I was about halfway back to my dorm, Nikolai had pulled up beside me in his car and offered me a ride. I should have ignored him and kept walking. I see that now. I saw that then but any apprehension was drowned out by the promise of getting out of the rain and into a warm, dry car with the guy I'd had a crush on since the beginning of the semester. But maybe it wouldn't have been enough to refuse his offer. Maybe even if I had said no, he would have gotten out and dragged me into the car with him. Or maybe he would have just moved on to another girl, one more trusting. And that's why I came back, why I clawed my way out of the grave on the anniversary of my death. Call it the power of Halloween. Call it a spirit who couldn't rest. Call it whatever the hell you want. All I knew was that I couldn't let Nikolai do to another girl what he had done to me. When Nikolai's sobs had turned into dry, broken heaves, I cupped his chin in my hand and forced him to meet my eyes. Why?
2: I don't know. Okay? I panicked. I knew you would tell if I let you go. I'm sorry. You have to know that I'm sorry. I've thought about it every single night for the past year. I can't eat. I can't sleep. I feel so guilty I can't breathe with it. I'd do anything to go back in time and take it back.
1: You have to believe me. That was such a load of horseshit that I almost burst into laughter. Guilty my half-decayed ass. If I really had been Sarah, just... Another normal girl at a normal Halloween party? I'd probably already be gasping my last in the back of Nikolai's car. But I was tired of his blubbering. Oh, I believe you, but you understand why I can't let you go, don't you? Nikolai let out a deep, shuddering breath. Then finally he nodded.
2: Just... just make it quick, okay? I know I don't deserve it, but please, Melisa...
1: I'm begging you. Eliza. My real name seemed so foreign coming from him. Until it had been splashed across the headlines, I doubt he'd even known what it was. I reached forward and rested my hand on his chest, felt his beating heart beneath my fingertips. You took your time, and so will I. I was the only one around to hear him scream. (laughs)
0: We're going to ghost the horror for a short break. We need to pause because there's a lot going on these days. Exciting stuff like Halloween, or stuff you'd rather not think about, like all those bills. Sorry, what was that? I'm grooving with my new Raycon Everyday Earbuds. I was saying you can't always control the vibes out there. But you can always control the vibes in your head with a pair of... uh, Wait, did you say Raycon wireless earbuds? I did. I'm totally vibing on this amazing sound. Hey, I love Raycons too. Whether you use them to pump up, wind down, work or work out, Raycons are my go-to for on-the-go audio. And the new everyday earbuds look, feel and sound better than ever. I love their new improved rubber oil look and feel. They look slick, but classy. And their optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit make these impressive before you even start listening. I like how you get three new sound profiles to make sure everything you're listening to sounds its
2: best with just the right amount of
0: bass. I know, right? They have pure mode, perfect for podcast listening, blues, instrumental... Then there's balanced mode, great for rock, heavy metal, and podcasts. Yes, and podcasts. And there's bass mode, a thick bottom end for hip-hop, EDM, reggae, and podcasts. (laughs) Let's face it, podcasts like ours always sound amazing. And there's also an all-new awareness mode for when you need to listen to your surroundings instead. You mean like when you're listening to a horror podcast and you need to make sure a dark entity isn't sneaking up on you? Precisely. Raycons offer 8 hours of playtime and a 32 hour battery life there's also a built in mic and you can take calls on your earbuds at the press of a button I love how Raycons start at half the price of other premium audio brands but they sound just as good and Raycons come with a 45 day happiness guarantee so you can try them out risk free and discover how they sound expensive at an affordable price even more affordable with the no sleep discount exactly Right now, no sleep listeners can get fifteen percent off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash no sleep. Again, that's buyraycon.com slash no sleep to save 15% on Raycons. Again, that's buyraycon.com slash no sleep. I just said that. Sorry, I wasn't listening. I was vibing with my new Raycons. Okay, okay, you keep enjoying the Raycons while we get back to more deliciously dark-sounding horror. In our final tale, we join a man as he recounts his teenage years growing up on a farm, meeting the love of his life and dealing with the regular trials and tribulation of family life. But in this tale... Shared with us by author Blair Wolfe, we discover that life on this ranch is a little more dramatic than normal, thanks to a certain structure looming tall in the center of their lives. Performing this dark tale are Graham Rowett, Sarah Thomas, Jeff Clement, Aaron Lillis, and Jesse Cornett. So think back fondly on your first kiss. Remember the delicious coolness of sweet iced tea on a hot day. But don't forget that haunted summer in the shadow of the Black Silo.
3: A lot went down in the summer of 1995... The clear as crystal, I remember how I was falling hard for Miss Abby Lacey Caskell. Despite all the pain and heartache that occurred back then, and which still returns to me as nightmares to this day, memories of her are still just as sweet as if they'd never been tainted by what was to come. Because that summer, we did battle with evil. I can recall one stiflingly muggy night in particular... "'Blossom, Alabama tended to feel just like it had been dunked in molasses during the warmer months. "'Abby was sat cross-legged on my futon while I lay flat out on the floor trying to catch a breeze. "'We were deep in debate regarding a particular poster I'd recently acquired "'and fixed to the slanted wall directly across from the futon where I slept. "'Said poster featured blonde bombshell Miss Pamela Anderson.' Or rather, her beloved and pleasantly bouncy Baywatch character, C.J. Parker, in her infamous little red swimsuit. She stood with her hands on hips, glaring saucily into camera, and to my seventeen-year-old brain, it felt just as if Pam was directing those come-hither-eyes my way. Now, Abigail was of the opinion that my treasured wall art represented what she called an affront to natural femininity and standards of beauty, which pandered only to the male gaze and contributed to upholding the patriarchal regime. That was the summer she took to reading Camille Paglia. With typical Abby Sass, she'd also added,
1: Besides, Mason... That swimsuit is so damn tight, I can just about see her religion. And you know I ain't the church going tight.
3: My mental gymnastics were never any match for Abby's. I could think of no convincing defense, save for I liked to look at that poster, which Abby just argued proved her point and that I was objectifying old Pam with my male gaze. "'I wasn't sure how else I was supposed to gaze, "'but by the end of the night, "'Pam's golden curves had been rolled up tight "'and relegated to the back of my closet. "'Later that week, my Auntie Sweet Pea "'would walk in to fetch my laundry, "'and upon seeing the missing poster, "'would roll her eyes and ask if "'that uppity Abigail Caskill "'had pitched one of her fits again, "'and conclude that that girl "'could make the Pope cuss. "'Auntie wasn't what you would call a feminist.' The thing is, I couldn't have cared less about what happened to my Pam poster because that was the night Abby and I shared our first kiss. I'd been in love with her as long as I could remember and all through our childhood friendship I'd known that one day I would ask Abby to be my wife. There was no other like her. Abigail was a firecracker who seemed to know everything about everything and would not be stopped for speaking her mind. I'd always melted in response to the fearsome blaze that seemed to radiate from her. I'd fetched us a jug of sweet iced tea jangling with ice cubes, and as we sat pressing our sweating glasses to our faces and necks to try and combat the sweltering heat of the summer night, a sudden and deafening boom of thunder startled us both so badly that only when it had completely faded to silence did we realize we'd grabbed each other's hands. We stayed that way for a while, "'uncharacteristically shy and awkward with each other all of a sudden. "'The mixtape I'd recorded from the only rock show Blossom Radio received "'finished out with Nirvana's About a Girl, "'and after an almost imperceptible click, "'even flow by pearl jam started up. "'We sat in silence for a further minute, "'neither of us really hearing the dulcet tones of Eddie Vedder "'droning on about butterflies.' Her hand in mine seemed to be radiating warmth, and after a while I began to feel self-conscious about my sweaty paw enclosing her delicate, tanned fingers. I put my glass down on the side table, dropping it harder than intended, which seemed to snap us both back to reality somewhat. We giggled nervously, both looking away, and then began speaking at the same time. Uh, Look, Mason... I started to laugh again, but stopped when I finally looked into her beautiful green eyes and saw that she was serious. She took her hand from mine and pushed her long, dark, wild hair behind her ear and leaned forward. To this day, that kiss was the sweetest I ever had. I felt it all the way out to my ears, which I reckon had turned redder than the day I'd come down with a mighty case of heat stroke after too much swimming in the lake back in 92. As our lips parted, I felt just as if I might float up through the ceiling. Before my faculties had quite returned to me, the door burst open and Mikey, my out-of-breath little brother, panted out. Annie Sweet Pea says to call you for dinner. God damn it, Mikey. You ever hear a knocking? But I was feeling too wrapped up in elation to really be annoyed at him. Oh, <laughs> how are you, Abby? You staying for dinner? Before she could answer, Annie Sweet Pea screeched from the kitchen down the hall. I rolled my eyes, and we got up to leave. Abby ruffled Mikey's hair on her way out and told him to go steal himself a dinner roll to fight off the hunger pains. Abby and I didn't talk much as I drove her home in my Uncle Landon's truck, but I distinctly recall we were both grinning like fools. As she hopped out of the truck at the bottom of the dusty driveway of her family's farm, she threw me a wink and a smile. They told me she'd holler at me. (laughs) I felt like I'd never get to sleep that night. I replayed our kiss over a hundred times, smiling in the darkness. I watched through my window as the storm whipped itself up into a frenzy, lightning making a monstrous silhouette of the massive black corn silo in the distance. (laughs) But fall asleep, I did. And as consciousness departed, I heard the fat drops of rain the thunder had promised begin to fall outside. The next day was sticky and overcast. With a sickly yellow hue to it, I didn't like one bit. I looked out my window. Wiping my eyes and squinting at the strange light And my gaze came to rest on the imposing monolith Standing impossibly tall and brooding over everything The black silo I tried to avoid looking at it if I could help it As it gave me the shudders. Don't get me wrong, I wasn't a wuss of any particular order I was a farm boy born and raised Tough as I needed to be The first eight years had been spent on my daddy's farm one town over and after the accident that took my parents mikey and i had come here to live with my auntie sweet pea and uncle landon on their farm the sanderson farm as it was known around these parts i loved farm living truly i loved everything about it except for that damn monstrous pillar with its belly full of corn it started when i was six years old We'd been visiting with Auntie and Uncle one night, and the grown-ups, having had a little too much of Uncle Landon's good cider, had decided we'd better stay over. They'd put me to bed in the room that, unbeknownst to any of us back then, would later become my bedroom, and trusted, in the way of adults who've forgotten what it's like to be a child, that I would nod off to sleep without any trouble. It was still early in the evening, however, and I wasn't ready to be gotten rid of quite so easily. I decided to spy on them. Pretending they were a gang of supervillains led by Auntie Sweet Pea, who I figured had a silly enough name to be a comic book character already, I would be Batman, sticking to the shadows and creeping through the rickety house soundlessly. Although my Ninja Turtle jammies clashed somewhat with my new identity as the world's greatest detective, I was feeling confident in my stealth abilities. Besides, the criminals were all fairly sloshed and unlikely to spot a tiny Ninja Turtle-clad Batman in their midst. As I left Mikey asleep behind me and creeped closer to the living room where they were gathered, their mumbling turned into real words punctuated by shrieks of laughter. I heard a lot that night. Some of it made me blush and feel an embarrassed kind of giggle rise up in my chest, which I had squashed down with force. There was talk of a young woman named Mary Lou, who my father proclaimed was probably drier than a popcorn fart. I'm still not entirely sure what he meant by this. All I know is the word fart is comedy gold to a six-year-old. Settled in my hiding spot under the dining room table, with a good view of the goings-on, I eventually began to nod off as the grown-up talk simmered down. Having burned off their drunken energy, their lively conversation gave way to quieter talk of old memories. Mom teasing Uncle Landon about the grief he used to cause their poor mother, and Dad mostly backing her up and adding details to stories of skipping school and drinking beer out by the lake. Landon was Mom's big brother, and he and my pops had been friends since their school days, so there was a lot of old history to go over. I was disappointed that I hadn't uncovered any villainous plots to attack Gotham City or take over the world, and that there seemed to be no more forthcoming fart jokes from Dad and Uncle Landon, but I was too sleepy to make it back to bed. They were silent for a time, but just as I was about to drift off, Uncle Landon started up again his voice a little shaky and cautious, which immediately made me strain to listen. Uncle Landon was known to confidently shout the odds about all things. He was always booming, whether it was in a rage or doubled over laughing. And Mama used to say he thought the sun came up just to hear him crow. But that
4: night, he was different. I might need to go in and Walk the corn soon in the black silo. When Jed says it looks like moisture got in and it's sticking to the sides.
3: (sighs) Now, walking the corn can be dangerous. Grain can stick together and build up inside the silo, and sometimes it takes a man to get up inside and unstick it. What you want to watch out for is what's called a bridge where it seems like the corn you're standing on is steady, but it's actually just packed together on top with a gap underneath. If you break through a bridge, you can be sucked down into the corn in no time, submerged in three seconds or less. Apparently, the pressure is so intense, it feels like your whole body is being squeezed by one of those blood pressure cuffs they put on your arm at the doctor, corn poking into every inch of you until your skin resembles a golf ball. Most brain deaths are as a result of suffocation. The pressure can force so much corn into a person's mouth and nose that their jaw unhinges and their lungs feel to burst. Even at six years old, I knew this. I'd had the fear of God put into me to stop me playing anywhere near the silos. But I also knew Uncle Landon had walked the corn a hundred times. It wasn't fear of golf ball skin and unhinged jaws that made his voice shake that night.
4: I listened intently. I know we did what we had to, but I swear... Sometimes I can still hear his screams coming from inside that damn thing. And I know. Lorraine, after what he did to you, and and you were just so little...
3: He took my mom's hand, and she smiled sadly at her big brother. A fat teardrop rolling out of the corner of her
4: eye. Well, that bastard didn't deserve no better. But damned if I don't still wake up in a sweat some nights. Remember how he was when we pulled him out. Jake, you remember?
3: He looked to my dad, wiping at his face. My dad looked down at the carpet, stayed
4: silent. Like a goddamn rag doll. Every one of his bones broken, and one of his legs that it was, it was just twisted round and round like that corn. Got a hold of it, and thought it was a wind-up toy. All well, the blood forced upwards, so it looked like his damn thigh might burst. Like someone had overfilled a purple fucking balloon. His eye holes stuffed with corn, and I remember thinking, My God, his eyes got teeth.
1: Oh, Lord, Lady, now enough of that.
3: Maddie's sweet pea tried to maintain her usual no nonsense tone, but I saw her neck and chest had gone a deep red, and her hands were shaking.
4: Bob tea's what we need.
1: Now I'll go on and check if we got any sugar cookies left. And then we best get to bed and sleep off your damn cider.
3: She fussed and fretted around the room a minute, collecting up empty bottles and bustled towards the kitchen. She walked right by my hiding spot, and I heard her let out a shuddering breath as her stocking feet hurried by. My parents and Uncle Landon were silent, each staring down at the floor, lost in their memories. I almost screamed when Mikey let out a piercing howl from my room down the hall. I'd been in an awful kind of paralyzed trance, my little kid brain reeling in shocked horror as I pictured the man inside the black silo that Uncle Landon had described. "'crushed by corn into no more than a bloody sack of bones "'broken into little bits and eyes full of grinning corn teeth. "'I scrambled backwards into the darkness "'as quickly and quietly as I could "'and was back into bed with the covers pulled over me "'just seconds before Mom entered. "'She picked up Mikey, who was still just a baby then, "'and took him out into the hallway to gently bounce him "'and sing sweetly into his ear.' ...until he calmed. My heart was pounding so hard I was scared she'd hear it. The curtain blew in the breeze, and as it fluttered I caught sight of the black silo. And I swear I heard it, far off and distant, but undeniable. a tortured screaming, and the animal, guttural noise of a man drowning in corn... During that summer in 95, which I'd later come to associate with my first and most potent taste of true love and my greatest heartbreak in equal measures, Abby and I spent every spare second together. Sometimes I wonder, if I hadn't been so blinded by happiness, so absorbed in Abigail's sweetness, would I've paid more attention to what was going on with Mikey? Mikey. At twelve years old, my little brother wasn't your usual prepubescent, obnoxious little hanger-on, like other boys his age. He was happy to entertain himself for hours on end. Once I caught him reenacting an entire Elvis show in front of the mirror, his hair quaffed into an exact likeness of the king's with the aid of auntie's extra hold of hairspray. When he spotted me, doubled over and just about crying with silent laughter the kid just grinned and broke into an enthusiastic rendition of can't help falling in love with renewed vigor. Just enjoying the fact that he'd made me laugh. That was Mikey. He didn't get embarrassed. He was never self-conscious. He was just happy to make other people happy. But things changed that summer. Things changed, and I should have been paying attention. When we sat down to breakfast, which always consisted of bacon, fresh-laid eggs, and pancakes, Mikey wasn't piling his plate high like usual. Where before, he'd filled every silence, making Uncle Landon roar with laughter as he regaled us with tales of stories he planned to write, hilarious observations about the kids and teachers from school, or a funny dream he'd had. Now, Mikey would barely meet our eyes. After a few days of this, Annie Sweet Pea asked if he was feeling all right, if he wanted to stay in bed and skip his chores a while.
4: Mac, you okay, honey?
3: He replied that he was fine, he just hadn't been sleeping too well. I'm fine. The dark rings around his eyes seemed to support this theory. I remember making a crack about him looking like a raccoon, which he responded to with a tepid smile that didn't reach his eyes. I think I even asked him if a vampire had been at him, as pale and drawn as he was. We'd recently watched a rerun of the Salem's Lot miniseries on TV, and I remember thinking he was taking on an unhealthy resemblance to Ralphie Glick, the little vampire boy. I shuddered as I pictured Mikey floating and tapping outside my window. That scene had made us both hide behind the comforter we'd dragged onto the sofa with us. I didn't pay much mind, and as Annie Sweet Pea looked on worriedly, her already pinched face tightening up another notch as he excused himself from the table after barely a few mouthfuls again.
2: Excuse me. I'm going
3: to my room. I just shrugged as I wolfed out my pancakes. Puberty? I swallowed a syrupy mouthful before hurrying off to meet Abby. Milking the cows was one of my jobs, which I remember I found particularly enjoyable that day, as Abby, now officially my girlfriend, sat on a bench nearby and kept me entertained. Due to Uncle Landon's eccentricities and a powerful desire to never be boring, there wasn't a daisy or buttercup to be had in his barn. All his cows were named for Greek goddesses. I was working on Calliope and about to move on to Hera, trying not to laugh too hard at Abby's silliness and startle the ladies, as Uncle called them. Today's hotter than a jalapeno's coochie.
1: Hotter than a goat's butt in a pepper patch? (laughs) Boy, Mason, I tell you, I know they say just a handful will do... But how on earth am I supposed to feel good about myself when you're so expertly handling these utterly voluptuous babes all day? I mean, you literally get to fondle Aphrodite, the goddess of love, on a daily basis. I just can't compete.
3: Abby huh. sighed, keeping a straight face. At hearing her name, the biggest Holstein, Aphrodite, turned to look over at us, giving an unimpressed bray through a mouthful of feed, and we fell apart with laughter. (laughs) After a few ridiculous minutes of trying to regain control of ourselves, Abby wiped her eyes and said she'd grab us a couple of Cokes from inside. Be careful. Today's hotter than two hamsters farting in a wool sock. I stroked Calliope's side as the cow stopped her feet, demanding I stop this damn foolery and get back to milking her, and wiped the sweat and laughter-induced tears from my eyes as I watched Abby skip off. It really was unbearably hot that year. I remember it constantly feeling humid and suffocating, like just before a storm breaks. A few minutes later, Abby rushed back into the barn. Her hair stuck down with sweat to her forehead, and the laughter gone from her eyes, replaced with the gleam of panic.
1: Mason, it's Mikey! Over by the silo!
3: I shot up, almost knocking over the milking pail and putting quite a fright-up poor Calliope, whose eyes rolled as she stomped and brayed. Horrible, frenzied images flashed through my mind. My god, his eyes got teeth! As I stumbled, tripping towards the brightness outside and my little brother Abby took my arm and we ran As we rounded the corner of the barn and the silo loomed into view I could make out Mackie's little frame clinging to the steel ladder that ran up its side About halfway up to the cylindrical hatch door that opened into the dark interior His head was bowed and his mouth was moving, but I couldn't hear him His eyes were blank, greasy hair hanging in his face, right ear almost resting against the silo wall, and he appeared to be listening intently.
1: I tried to get him to come on down, but it was like he couldn't hear me, Mason. Like he was in another world or in a trance or something.
3: Abby's eyes were fixed on Mikey and shining with concern. I squeezed her hand and took a few cautious steps towards the silo. Mackie? Mackie, you know we ain't supposed to play near the silo. It's... it's not safe. Although what I meant, what I truly felt, was that it wasn't good. It wasn't clean. Even before that fateful night when I'd heard Uncle Landon's mysterious tale of the bad man in the corn, I felt a sort of corruption emanating from the black pillar. My mouth was completely dry, and I was struggling to get the words out to coax my little brother to the ground. Mikey! Mike! I just about whispered. I was scared. More scared than the situation called for, I suppose. He didn't appear to be in any desperate danger, but I was gripped by a sort of primordial fear right then. Fear for my baby brother's life. And I could see in Abby's eyes, she could feel it, too. Mikey blinked a few times, cocked his head the other direction, and whispered something low as in response. He looked down at me, and for a split second I saw something like hatred in his gaze. It took me a while to understand that, so unaccustomed to seeing such a foreign emotion on Mikey's always open and loving little face. And those sparkling blue eyes which were usually brimming with nothing but affection for me. It stung worse than a slap across my cheek. He started down the ladder, his face blank once more... ...and as he reached the bottom he managed a curdled smile in my direction. Don't tell Auntie I was playing here, okay, Mason? I didn't know if it was a request or an order... He walked off towards the house, whistling an odd tune. Abby and I stood where we were, staring after him for a time, neither of us quite understanding what had just happened. Goosebumps broke out across my arms despite the heat, and I started to feel something so alien I wouldn't really land on what it was until long afterwards. But it began to brew and bubble from that day on. I was afraid of Mikey. For him, yes But mostly of him A few nights later I awoke Sweating from a terrible dream In it I'd seen our farm in a state of rot The grass turned gray and diseased Every inch of land dead and unyielding I walked over the blackening earth to the barn, terrified but unable to turn back, as is the way in dreams, knowing that only dread and madness awaited. The barn lay in darkness, but I could make out the humped shapes of Uncle's prized Holsteins, his cow goddesses now silent and unmoving. Amid the heavy death, I felt the presence of something putrid and wrong watching me and smiling in the darkness. Against my will, my feet moved me deeper into the barn, deeper into the fecund atmosphere of whatever crouched there. I could make out the sound of something snuffling and gulping, and the hideous sound drew me on. Stepping over the bodies of the cows, which lay ripped open and leaking awful I found myself in the furthest corner of the large building, staring down at Aphrodite, my favorite cow. I remembered stroking her soft nose and patting her strong back as she was milked. Now she convulsed on the dirt ground, her eyes rolling wildly and seeming to beg for the death her sisters had been granted. Something was crouched over her, greedily suckling at her now tumorous udder, glutting itself on the curdled sour smelling black sludge that poured from her it quivered with pleasure and gulped its belly now distended with virgin putrescence it was staring at me as it drank grinning around the poisonous looking teats and although my mind tried to force it away deny it I stared back into the blue eyes of my baby brother, Mikey. No! Abby came over early the next morning, and I told her about my nightmare. The rotten stickiness of that terrible dreamscape still clinging to me, still making me feel unclean. Her serious green eyes never left mine as I unburdened myself, and her usually tanned face turned pale as mine felt. When I was done, she stayed silent a while, and turned to look out my window, instinctively looking towards the black silo. Something ain't right here anymore, Abby. I know it was just a dream, but it's like I can feel something wrong coming, like it's been coming this whole summer. And Mikey...
1: Mikey doesn't feel like Mikey
3: anymore. Abby didn't tell me it was no big deal, or that I was imagining things. She could feel it too, and I loved her all the more for taking me seriously. We both sat on my futon, staring silently at the silo. It looked taller and more imposing than ever, seeming to block out the sun, and... I noticed nothing grew around its base. We were disturbed from our contemplation by Auntie Sweet Pea calling us to breakfast. Yes, breakfast is ready. As we entered the kitchen, she was bustling about, laying the table with the usual stacks of pancakes and eggs. Uncle Landon was already out and about, busy attending to the farm with his farmhand, Jed. Mikey was seated, eyes downcast and humming to himself quietly. How are you, Mikey? I poured out some coffee for Abby and me. Mm -hmm. Mikey looked up from the eggs on his plate he'd been poking at, his ice-blue eyes shining out from behind greasy strands of hair. He continued humming as a grin spread across his face. He just sat there, staring at me with that awful, toothy smirk as syrup and runny eggs dripped from the corner of his mouth, glopping down onto his chest and the table. Sitting there like that, he looked just as he had in my dream. A crouching nightmare with putrid juices dripping from his chin. And as crazy as it sounds, I think he knew exactly what he was doing. Auntie turned towards us, and just about dropped the platter of bacon she was carrying.
1: <gasps> good lord, Michael! You stop that disgusting drool in this minute! My word! Your mama is looking down on us from heaven as we speak, and what do you think she's making of this indecent behavior?
3: Invoking our mama in heaven had always been her favorite way to encourage immediate shame and subsequent good behavior from us boys. Mikey wiped his sleeve across his mouth and wrinkled his brow as if deep in thought, or straining to hear something far away. He looked directly at Auntie and said, matter-of-factly, Mama was a little whore, and she got what was coming to her. (gasps) I'd never seen my Auntie speechless before. Her face paled, and one delicate hand fluttered up to her face and covered her mouth in shock.
4: What a
1: thing to say. Oh, Michael. What a terrible thing to say.
3: I saw it then in her eyes. The very same fear that had overtaken me. Mikey had become foreign to us. No longer the messy little kid who always made us smile who everyone instinctively loved on sight. He was more akin to a rabid dog or a coiled snake now. Something you knew to stay well away from. (laughs) Auntie left the table quietly as her eyes filled with tears. And Abby and I glanced at each other and also backed away. I looked back at Mikey. He was still grinning, (laughs) blue eyes flashing. "'and I watched as he snatched up fistfuls of uneaten breakfast from the platters "'and shoved them into his mouth gorily. "'Now, I don't know if it was my mind playing tricks or some slant of the light, "'but where his dainty little boy's hands should have been, "'I saw the huge, scarred, hairy hands of a grown man. (laughs) "'Seeing those freakish paws that didn't belong at the ends "'of my skinny brother's little wrists scared me badly.' and I grabbed Abby's hand and ran. In the days following the incident at breakfast, Uncle Landon and Auntie drove Mikey into town to see the doctor, as she was convinced he'd come down with some malady or other. I hoped she was right, but deep down, I knew better. The doc didn't find anything wrong, In fact, he walked out of his office ruffling Mikey's hair, the two of them having a fine old laugh. He told my aunt and uncle that Mikey was healthy as an ox and a sweet kid to boot. It should have been a relief. I made several attempts to talk to my little brother, to get him to come play catch-out back like we used to, or go for walks with me and Abby, but he always wriggled out of it by claiming he was tired or that he needed to go do something. ...or he'd just stare at me with his frightening, blank eyes until I let him be. There were no more incidents of him being outright cruel or vicious. It seemed as if he was just fading away, which was somehow even more frightening. I started to realize that Mikey might be lost to me forever. What had started as the best summer of my life was curdling into a sour, sticky nightmare... ...that not even Abby's sweetness could drag me out of. One sweaty night, I awoke to a pressure near my feet. Something more sense than actually felt. Groggily emerging from a fitful sleep, my sweat turned cold on me as I realized someone was there with me. Whispering. I stayed still and tried to keep my breathing even so whatever it was would think I was still asleep. And as my eyes adjusted, I made out Mikey's slight silhouette sitting on the end of my bed. His little feet were curled under him. Then he was propped up with his face against my window, facing out towards the silo. I strained to make out what he was whispering, but I couldn't catch it. I sat up slowly, trying not to startle him. Mikey. He stopped his murmuring and snapped his head towards me. In the faint light from the window, I saw something like pleading in his wide eyes, and his mouth hung open as if he'd just seen something to make your blood turn cold. He looked at me like that for a moment, neither of us saying a word. When he broke the silence, his voice came out cracked and louder than I'd expected. Soon. Soon, Mason. It's... He fainted, falling backwards off my futon, and I lurched forward to cradle his head before it hit the floor. One blisteringly hot Sunday towards the end of that fateful summer, Abby and I were returning to the farm following a day of swimming and sunning ourselves at the lake. The day had been full of laughter and sweet kisses, and it lifted my spirits to soaring. I'd begun to feel like maybe Mikey had just been feeling a little off, like maybe it really was just puberty hitting him like the freight train it was, and we could put this awful business behind us. I planned on sitting him down that night and summoning all my older brother wisdom for a real heart-to-heart. I was a stupid fool in love. My common sense clouded over by the glow in my heart that I thought could somehow radiate out of me and into everything I touched. (laughs) We were laughing and swinging our clasped-together hands as we rounded the bend and pushed through the shrubs that would bring us onto a path leading off from the barn. As we passed the barn and the silo came into view, our laughter dried up, both Abby and I shivering a little despite the ungodly heat. We squeezed each other's hands a little tighter. It seemed somehow larger that day, towering over everything, radiating blackness. A foul smell emanated from it, hitting us suddenly and forcefully. I pulled back from Abby, gagging, and as I was turned away, I heard her let out a scream that wrapped my spine in prickling ice. She grabbed my arm and spun me around, pointing upwards Mason he's
4: going in oh!
3: I dropped the picnic basket and towels I'd been carrying and ran I saw my little brother's bare left foot disappearing into the hatch door at the top of the black silo as he heaved himself inside my mind was spinning his eyes got teeth I launched myself up the first rungs on the side of the silo... ...and called back to Abbey to get my uncle landed. Each step up felt like moving through swamp water. The air here felt thick... ...and breathing felt like swallowing lumps of something that needed chewing. The smell engulfed me. The smell of rotten innards. But I pushed through. I reached the top and stepped inside carefully standing on the jutting ledge that stuck out over the corn. The inside of the silo was hotter than I could have imagined, and fresh sweat immediately popped on my brow. It was so quiet, all I could hear was my heart booming like a jackhammer. I let out a rush of breath in relief as I saw Mikey, standing at the far end of the skinny ledge. I took a shallow breath of the rotten air and began to move towards him slowly i reached him and said his name quietly putting my hands on his shoulders mikey mikey looked around at me tears running down his face but for the first time in a long time he was my mikey my sweet baby brother tears poured from my eyes too and i smiled down at him let's go mike I tried to gently steer him towards the hatch. I'm sorry, Mason. I I can't. It's too late now. He's here. He's here to take me to mom and dad. I didn't know. The corn started moving. We both heard the low rumble begin as it started shifting, as if some monstrous snake was ascending from the bowels of the silo, slipping and sliding over itself. The smell grew overpowering. I stood frozen in terror, gripping Mikey's shoulders like a vice, and caught glimpses of something gray and slippery as the corn tumbled and swelled. The corn suddenly seemed alive, like a vat of writhing maggots or like the scurrying of thousands of wood lice exposed to the light uh, I, you, I pulled Mike. at Mikey desperately oh, on, Mike. but he took a step forward seemingly hypnotized by the rustling and swelling below Mikey, no! He tugged and his arm broke free of my sweaty hold as if we were greased I watched my little brother fall forward and screamed again, lurching to grab him and almost going over myself. I reached him just in time, holding onto his hand with both of mine. I lay on my belly, stretched as far as I could over the ledge where he hung. As I looked down into his face, tears falling freely and blurring my vision. I saw his eyes finally clear. I saw as the reality of what was happening finally reached him, and his blue eyes widened. His mouth contorted into an O of true terror. I pulled with every ounce of strength in me, but as he started to rise towards the ledge, something in the corn exploded upwards, and latched onto his dangling legs. Mikey's scream was blood-curdling. It sucked him down away from me, but I couldn't let go, bellowing with the effort until I felt an intense gripping along my shoulder that made my vision flash red. Leaning even further over the edge, I saw a pair of huge, hairy hands crushing into my brother's ankles, tugging him towards the sea of corn. I saw filthy gray hair and a grinning face, Hawk-marked and bleeding where it had been lacerated and crushed by jostling kernels, a mouth stretched impossibly wide, and I saw eye sockets packed and bursting with white, yellow corn. Eyes that looked like they had teeth. My grip slipped momentarily, and suddenly my hands were empty. I screamed until it felt like my chest would rip apart and my screams mingled with Mikey's, echoing off the cylindrical walls and bouncing back at me in a way that felt like mocking. I watched as Mikey was pulled under, saw his legs twist as the corn grabbed at them like a solid tornado. His face turned purple as blood was forced upwards, and his beautiful blue eyes filled with red as blood vessels burst. I saw corn dig and cut into every inch of his face and neck, forcing its way into his ears, and finally, cutting off his screams as it rushed into his nose and mouth, cracking his jaw open wide. And then, he was gone. The rest of what happened that day is kind of a blur. I think a piece of my mind broke so completely that it'll never fully recover. What I do remember comes to me in flashes, as though a strobe light was flickering around me. I remember being pulled out of the hatch by emergency responders, my arm broken in several places, tendons torn around my right shoulder. I remember Abby... ...red-faced and crying... ...telling me she was there... ...she was with me. I remember Auntie Sweet Bee crumbled in the dirt outside the silo... ...inconsolable. And Uncle Landon... ...white-faced... ...and looking like he might faint dead away. And I remember being taken away to the hospital... ...in a helicopter... ...rising in a swirl of dirt and dust... ...and impossible noise... The paramedic with me told me to look down, perhaps to give me something to focus on besides my grief. When I did, I saw my family and Abby looking up at me. My shattered family. I saw some type of machine hooked up to the silo to empty out the corn so Mikey's crushed little body could be recovered, I learned later. And I saw a man. Standing next to the silo Impossibly huge Grey haired and grinning He waved at me With one enormous hand I watched Until he was the size of an ant Staring Willing him to disappear Until I lost Consciousness
4: (laughs)
0: place the letters back in their envelopes, it's time to take our leave. For now. The musical score was composed by Brandon Boone. Our production team is Phil Mykolski, Jeff Clement, and Jesse Cornett. Our creative content manager is Olivia White. Our editor-in-chief is Jessica McAvoy. I'm your host and executive producer, David Cummings. If you would like to find out how you can hear the extended editions of our audio program, please visit thenosleeppodcast.com to learn about our Season Pass program. 25 episodes, each over 2 hours long, and 3 exclusive bonus episodes, all for only $25. On behalf of everyone at the No Sleep Podcast, we thank you for listening and for being ever curious. This audio production is copyright 2021 by Creative Reason Media, Inc. All rights reserved. The copyrights for each story are held by the respective authors.